The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. While we have breath, we shall remember and affirm the great goodness in the great hymn of Charles Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, and truth and love let all men see. In those who up to thee we give, thine holy thine, to die and live. This is the day the Lord has made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, the goodness of Sunday morning is in part this very moment in which we are brought up short. We are put on notice once again, come Sunday. In our worship, we recognize again that we fall short and where we fall short and where faith itself sometimes seems to fall short. Confession truly is good for the soul. Confession is honest. Confession is healthy. Confession is utterly human. So as the choir sings, may we add our spoken confession to the church's ageless Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Beloved, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the expiation for our sins. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 3. 
verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
please join me for the reading of the psalm and the singing of the antiphon. It is my meditation all day long. The commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I Now please stand as you are able for the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. 
And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. There has seldom been a better week in which to meditate upon the saving power of a faithful persistence. From one half mile beneath the surface of the earth, by dint of prayerful persistence which did not lose heart, by dint of persistent effort which did not give in, 33 Chilean miners emerged 
from the cave of death and out into the world of life. You may have seen the older leader who emerged, hugged, sang, and waved. Then he fell on his knees, arms dangling to the side, chin bowed. He personified a faithful persistence. We are taught in the gospel that we as disciples should always pray and not lose heart. The first person to meet us in today's reading is the Lord Jesus himself, this morning in his role as teacher. You should pray and not lose heart, we are taught. It appears that the very act of praying, events coming and going as they do, itself contests the loss of heart. That is, we should pray and so not lose heart. By the practice of intercessory prayer weekday and Sunday, we do not presume to try to, to direct. We are not Babe Ruth pointing to the upper deck showing the way the ball will go. We pray in order to hearten the heart, regardless of where the ball may go. Intercessory prayer is not only a matter of doxology and not only a matter of therapy, but is a discipline that affects the heart. Its practice involves a faithful persistence. Surrounded as we are by the effects of quasi-human communication in all its technologically potent and existentially unproven forms, we deeply need the nourishment of prayer, including, including Sunday ordered worship with its beauty in music and homily and liturgy, enchantment, not entertainment. Erazim Kohak once taught here and once wrote, the ageless boulders of the long abandoned dam the maple and the great birch by twilight, the chipmunk in the busyness of his days and his dying, even I, making my dwelling place among them, are not only right in our season, we also have our value in eternity as witnesses to the audacious miracle of being rather than nothing. Ultimately, that is the moral sense of nature infinitely to be cherished, that there is something. That is the eternal wonder articulated in the rightness and rhythm of time, which humans honor in their commandments, the wonder of being. Jesus meets us today in an exhortation to the faithful persistence of prayer. Those within earshot have some practice in such practice. But I ask you, how much love have you shown to a neighbor whom you have yet not invited to pray with you, to join you, to whom you have yet to say, I will be at Marsh Chapel on Sunday. We could have a coffee afterward. It is our fortune that the gospel has told us the meaning of the parable in advance. Pray so as not to lose heart. For the parable itself careens wildly away from such an easy reading. For the second person we meet is 
an unjust judge who cares nothing for God nor man. His temperament and his outlook make him an unlikely divine figure, even though it is to him that the parables and treaties are somehow presented. With his growling grumpiness, he is yet a person among other persons. His carelessness is not foreign to us. The revelation that decisions are being made behind closed doors, or doors at least closed to us, and on less than virtuous grounds, is not news to us either. The humanity of the unjust judge at least puts the gospel right in the soil, down in the gritty dirt of life, a secret hidden in the dirt itself. The gospel is about and for people, after all. Say what you will about the third gospel, Luke certainly has colorful characters. An outcast Samaritan who is the savior, Mary and Martha in eternal dialogue about human beings and human doings, an importunate friend who just like the unjust judge gives in because he is bothered, a rich fool with big barns and sudden death, a woman long infirm, touched and healed, a great banquet set out, sent out to the least last and lost, a man building a tower who ought to count his shekels, a king off to war who ought to count his troops, a woman hunting a coin, a shepherd finding a sheep, and three prodigals, a son, a father, and a brother. And of course, a dishonest steward, my favorite accountant, just before Lazarus teaches Dives. And then a slave whose master has him work day and night, inside and out, 10 lepers, healed, one, thankful. Say what you will, the gospel is memorably populated and heavily populated. And you feel like they would all make memorable dinner guests, so that you, though you fear that one or another might often offer that old Irish blessing as a grace, you know, God bless the enemies of your enemies, they would say at grace. They are a colorful lot. Our judge, one of them, does not well represent law nor theology. He re represents enlightened self-interest before the phrase was around. Maybe not so enlightened, just self-interest. Scoundrels appear with regularity in Luke. There is no expectation that they represent morality or amorality, but they are present. They are part of the human condition, the existential given, that abiding anxiety, alienation, accident that is so much a part of our experience. And sometimes to deal with power unattached to love requires us to give voice to love unattached to power. Sometimes that voice is all we have. Within our little village of Boston University on the Charles River, two and a half miles long by a half mile wide, we hear voices raised in love over against seemingly immutable power. Professor Tariq Ramadan emphasized at our law school this week that all religions need to practice 
a mixed measure of humility, consistency, and respect amid modernity's porous pluralism and the pluralized ethical horizons of our age. He challenged our young adults first to religious knowledge, religious self-awareness. When you don't know who you are, he said, you are scared by who you are not. His cure for injustice, education, history, philosophy, religion, art. Dr. Carl Kaiser spoke to us this week in the International Relations School regarding the labor involved in the reunification of Germany some 20 years ago. In a fascinating aside, he made reference to the involvement of theological students and theological studies in, the, in building part of the community and commitment needed to move two parts of the country together. Sometimes the route forward involves a faithful persistence which even the least just judge judges justly. The stark contrast between powerless widow and powerful judge could not be clearer. A faithful persistence may face down such impediments to justice when and where nothing else can. At Marsh Chapel, we talk a great deal about justice. But just how much justice have we directly done recently in our spending, in our voting, in our speaking, in our choosing? Our gospel next introduces us to a third person, a bothersome widow who has gone to court against an adversary. It is not clear just how this story applies to prayer, as the introduction promises it will. Her prayer life seems to be one long legal deposition, and maybe that carries a truth. We are told elsewhere in the scripture that we are to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. Such instructions suggest that every word and every whisper involves prayer. We do well to prize our time now that we have it. The scripture so reminds us again in Hebrews 11. Tonight our Muslim community will celebrate the somewhat recent completion of Ramadan with an Eid feast from 7 to 10 p.m., which many of us will attend. Our decisions about where to place ourselves on the map each week are part of our prayer life too. In fact, our forms of social location have everything to do and much to say about who in faith we are choosing to be day by day. Now and then, the gospel testifies, we may want and need to place ourselves alongside the powerless but vocal widow. We may need to learn about speech from the underside. From this pulpit, our colleague Susan Hassinger recently encouraged us to follow, lead, and get out of the way. By follow, she meant learn or relearn 
for some learning means unlearning what has been learned. By lead, she meant discover how to lead from the second chair, not the first chair, for few of us end up in the first chair. By get out of the way, she meant giving people back their own work to do. The entitled materialism of the last decade may require you to unlearn some things about what matters, counts, and lasts. Your place in the second row may inspire you to learn the beauty of the viola in contrast to that of the violin. A sermon on persistence may prompt me to give your work back to you. Remember, your field work is not a substitute for your domestic duties. Pick, shovel, tractor, computer, iPhone, Blackberry, and calendar are not a replacement for setting the table of the heart and the hearth, for sitting inside the house of prayer, for preparing a meal of spiritual nourishment. The journey of faith falls along a route of persistent faithfulness. A highlight of our fall each year at Boston University is the university lecture offered this week by Professor Jeremy Yudkin. He, he showed the discipline, the persistent concision of the music of Ludwig van Beethoven, Miles Davis, and Paul McCartney. A faithful persistence is something the great musicians, including these three, all share. Davis chose his notes carefully and played only a few of them. Yudkin reminded us of his motto, you don't have to play all the notes, he once said, you just have to play the pretty ones. Researchers say that excellent proficiency in a skill requires 10,000 hours of practice, of actual experience in kicking the ball, playing the sonata, performing the operation, landing the plane, teaching the seminar, chairing the meeting, preaching the sermon. How honest, how realistic are we with ourselves about persistence? We had an old song we used to sing, if you can't bear the cross, you can't wear the crown. It takes time. So why should we be discouraged about less than perfect performance when we've had less than adequate practice? Practice, practice, practice. Outdated pedagogy? Not according to today's gospel and not according to one particularly importunate especially bothersome, utterly unyielding widow. We are met by only one other person, one final fourth figure today. Jesus teaches, the judge vindicates, the widow importunes, and then the account that began in prayer and continued in virtue now concludes with a reference to judgment, apocalypse, the end of time. The community's concern about the delay of the return of Christ is turned on its head. The question, says Luke, should not be when, soon enough, soon enough. The question should be one of preparedness. When the Son of Man comes, 
Will he find faith? In general, the gospel's apocalyptic sayings and teachings are forged in the white heat of the church's instruction about how to live. That is, because it is later than you think, you will want to make the most of the time you have. It is this sensibility that one notices in the air and along the hallways of a great university about this time in the fall, that is, about the time midterms have been administered. It's time. If you have a list of two things that truly matter to you in life, whatever they be, and you steadily attend to them, faithfully, persistently, assiduously, then you will see results. You will see progress. It will take longer than you want, but the results will come. It will take longer than you think it should, but the results will come. It will take longer than it would have with another judge in the chair, but the results will come. Maybe there is a deeper reason why this combination of verses ends with a salute to the last judgment. It may be a warning to us, that is to us all, that is to you, that is to you who are already fairly faithful and fairly persistent. And here is the warning. Not everything is worth your persistence. Misdirected, misinvested, our persistence can do harm. So it's not just persistence, but it's faithful persistence, which is announced in the good news from 2 Timothy and St. Luke this morning. To what will you attend this month and this year? Our gospel challenges you to place faith at the heart of your persistent attention, to attend to the things of faith, to prayer in word and song, to scripture by morning and on Sunday, to compassion in deed and word, to make a space for faith, a space for Christ in the hotel of your heart. Our friend Wendell Luke put it well in a poem. Softly, almost unnoticed, the spirit of Christ enters and becomes. No hysteric act displays his coming unto us. A man lived with us and Christ was everywhere that we might search ourselves and give him lodging. The soul, the body, is but a Bethlehem manger where Christ will come seeking birth. Lay carefully your straw of life and bid him come. Bid him enter there. Bid him come. In the soft splendor of evening fires he will come. Build your evening fire and bid him come. A fire not tended dies and is no more. A fire not tended dies. Set no extravagant nor pompous feast a silent evening fire and gentle manger straw, and Jesus comes. 
Amen. As we turn now to God in prayer, I invite you to sit, stand, kneel, or come to the altar rail if it's your tradition to do so as we join together in the call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Our prayer this morning comes to us from the Anglican tradition. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends, and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for setting us at tasks which demand our best efforts and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he overcame death, and for his rising to life again in which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your spirit that we may know him and make him known, and through him at all times and in all places may give thanks to you in all things. Amen. And let us now pray in the words that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Hello, my name is Elizabeth Fonby Hall. I am the Director of Hospitality here at Marsh Chapel. Just want to welcome all of you who are here with us in the nave of the chapel, as well as those who might be listening on the radio or listening later on the podcast. First, I'd like to direct your attention to the red books, which can be found at each on each pew towards the center aisle. If you just take a moment to fill those out so that we at Marsh Chapel can get to know you better and so that also you can get to know the names of the folks who are seated next to you. We'd appreciate that. This upcoming weekend, which is Saturday and Sunday, the uh, 23rd and 24th, is Parents Weekend. So in honor of Parents Weekend, we have a few different events going on. 10 a.m. to 12 noon, we have Donuts on the Beach with Dean Hill and the servant team, and we will be watching the Head of the Charles Regatta. If you haven't seen that, it's a wonderful event, so I invite you to come along for that. At 12 noon, on the steps of Marsh Chapel, out on the plaza, weather permitting, we will have um, an Inner Strength Gospel Choir concert. It's a short concert, and after that, there is a tour of the chapel, of the art and architecture of the chapel, which will be led by myself and Brother Larry Whitney. Sunday afternoon, following worship here in the nave, we've got lunch, a free catered lunch for parents and students over in Barristers Hall. Barristers Hall is on the first floor of the law school. The weekend after Parents Weekend is Alumni Weekend, so that's the 30th and the 31st. Again, we have more events for that. We have another tour of the building, and we've also got an alumni wine and cheese reception. And if you're interested in more details about that, we encourage you to either look at the bulletin or look at the website. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
gracious God, you give us the nourishing gift of prayer. Accept and bless these our gifts and offerings, that, enjoined with our prayers, they might serve your people and hail your new creation. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen.